Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. Have you ever felt guilty for eating a cookie, Laura? Oh, yeah. I, I know I have. <laughs> or, um, you know, you're in a hurry and a rush and you have to kind of go through that drive through window or something like that. It can really make you feel bad, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the food police. Our police officers, men and women, protect and serve us. And, you know, they do have to pass judgment and decide if somebody's doing harm to themselves or, or breaking the law. Mm-hmm. But the problem is we, we need to talk about the food police. Right. We're going to talk about the food police today. <laughs> and if you don't want to use the word police, because if that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can use the inner food critic. You can say your you know, inner judgment of yourself. Um, but I think both of you and I see this in practice, that we're all really hard on ourselves and maybe harder on ourselves than we need to be. Yeah. Um, but not only do we have sort of internal food police or food critic, We get it from a lot of external sources, and we're going to talk a little bit about those today as well. So let's start, though, with our news of the week. Do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the studies that you came across this week? Yes. I think yours looked really, really interesting to me. So this is... uh an article that came out in the Food and Nutrition magazine, and it's written by dietitians, and this one was written by Monica Renegal. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> um, in January of 2019, and it was on the science of soy. We talk about the food police. Uh, one of the things that I hear a lot about is regarding soy. There seems to be... Um, you know, a lot of promoters, and then there's just as many detractors when Mm -hmm. it comes to soy. I hear a lot of fear around soy, maybe with my clients. Yes, so Um, much so. Or people who sort of self-restrict soy because they've heard it will do something to them. So where did your research um, take you on this? So this dietitian looked at um, about the research that's out there, the evidence-based research, there actually is quite a bit out there. And she just kind of came up with the top eight questions that were out there, and then Mm -hmm. she looked back on the research and then summarized it in this article. So I thought it was really well done. You know, uh, soy can be touted as a cure for hot flashes, Mm -hmm. and they also have heard a lot of people complaining or, or, or concerned about early puberty. Right. And, um, but then there's other sources that say it's good for your heart. Right. And then it, but it's bad for your thyroid. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and right now the naysayers, like you said, you hear more negative about soy than mm-hmm. positive. And I do too. Um, in a 2016 survey, uh, from the International Food Information Council Foundation, it revealed that 68% of participants said they were trying or while 68% of participants said they were trying to eat more beans, nuts, mm-hmm. seeds, 27% said they were trying to eat less soy, which is also a bean hmm. and a good source of protein. Right, right. So there is actually a lot of research on soy. And so soy 
the research that she looked at with these eight questions that she explored a little deeper was really on just dietary soy, not looking at supplements. That's treated separately. Yes. Okay. As they should be. Yes. (laughs) So what we're talking about is soy-based foods such as beverages like Mm -hmm. soy milk, tofu, adamame, soy protein powder, soy um, fermented products like miso, tempo, and natto. So, and I may not be pronouncing things very well. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, number one question is, do food, soy foods contain estrogen? That's probably the number one question that I hear, particularly yes. with people who have a family history of breast cancer or personal history. They're very concerned about consuming products with soy. So what did her research show? Yeah, so her research showed that soybeans contain phytoestrogens, which are compounds that are similar in structure to the human hormone estrogen. In vitro studies did show that the phytoestrogens can interact with the estrogen receptors on the surface of human cells. So saying it's acting the same thing as estrogen Mm -hmm. is, giving them the potential to exert a mild estrogenic effect. So she also said phytoestrogens may also have anti-estrogenic effects by blocking the more active Mm -hmm. human estrogen from reacting with the receptors. So while there's this part that's getting into the cells, Mm -hmm. instead of the estrogen, there's also this effect where it's preventing, it's also preventing the human estrogen from mm-hmm. reading, reaching the receptors. So it's sort of a mixed bag. Exactly. So. I also thought it interesting you said it was an in vitro study. Right. So yes. So remember, right. um, in vitro it and animal studies mean... don't, do not always translate to human because Correct. there's so much else going on in our bodies that you could never recreate Correct. in a test tube. Yes. So the potential estrogen agonist and anti-agonist <laughs> antagonists, mm-hmm. sorry, properties have led to questions about how it influences our hormone levels okay. and um, looking at men, women, and children. And basically her bottom line was the evidence here is mixed. Right. You know, so. So what kind of piece of advice would you want, a, you know, a client who is concerned maybe about cancer development or or hormones that are found in in soy, what kind of advice then would we want to give? So right now, I think the the bottom line is it's not sure, they're not sure it's having any effect whatsoever, right? Right, and may even have a positive effect. It may have a positive effect. Mm -hmm. It may not have an effect at all. Right. So I look at some of these other questions that she's gone into. So like when it comes to cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, does soy protect against breast cancer. There's epidemiological evidence that has linked higher soy food consumption with reduced breast cancer risk. So there you go. Women in from countries such as Japan, where soy foods are central to their diet, do experience yep. a much lower incident of breast cancer than Western women mm-hmm. who traditionally eat less soy. Right. And it appears that, however, that being said, the benefit is from eating soy is delivered best be- when it happens early in life. Interesting. Okay, so it's not a matter. It, it is more protective in terms of breast cancer when it's introduced earlier. Hmm. Into That's your diet. very interesting. 
Now, then I get a lot of questions about, and I think you probably do too, is, is soy safe for those people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer? Right. So what we were talking about before is preventing, and it does, but with people who have been diagnosed with breast cancer, I get a lot of people who are very concerned with this, and I understand. Um, (laughs) The potential estrogenic effects of soy, uh, in this article they say, has been a source of concern for those with hormone-sensitive cancers such as breast cancer. The concern is that even weak phytoestrogens Mm -hmm. in soy may promote the growth of cancer or its reoccurrence. Hmm. However, a 10-year follow-up study of thousands of women with previous breast cancer diagnoses found that soy isoflavin mm-hmm. intake from foods that did not from foods did not increase their risk of reoccurrence. Okay. To the contrary, it was associated with a reduced all-cause mortality. So although this association was most significant in women with hormone negative cancers and those who did not receive the hormone treatment. I wonder a little bit too, is that people who are consuming soy, soy products are eating theoretically less meat, less high fat meat, um, that you wonder if there's something there too, if the composition of their diet changes. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they're, you know, again, eating fewer, you know, less red meat, less pork, um, and substituting it in soy-based products. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you wonder if the whole composition of the diet changing maybe has less to do with the, the soy itself, but the composition of the a healthier diet mm-hmm. um, in breast cancer reoccurrence. It would be interesting to know in those studies if they controlled for other diet changes. Yeah. Or if I it was always, literally just the soy. Right. I always ask myself when right. I read those studies, is other what thing, right. else was in that diet that right. they're looking at and comparing? Right. Um, when they just look at one nutrient, it always makes me wonder. <laughs> and I think it's interesting, too, that this, this particular article focused on food. Um, I know... <clears throat> that soy can come in other forms, like you've mentioned dietary supplements. And we could, like I said, we will at some point do a whole episode on dietary supplements. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, food is different um, than supplements. And that's what this article. Yep. Basically. Yeah. What about soy and the thyroid? That's the other thing I hear a lot about. Yeah. So how soy might affect your thyroid function. She looked at this and, um, She said, some do warn that soy may negatively affect thyroid function. As long as a person's, this is very interesting, iodine intake is adequate, Mm -hmm. this is unlikely to be a concern. Right. So there was a review of 14 trials found that soy and soy isoflavin from dietary sources and supplements had either no effect or minimal effect on thyroid function in healthy people with normal iodine status. Hmm. Very interesting. It is. But also, it's interesting that a lot of people are moving away from table salt. Yes. And so we're, we're seeing this increase in iodine deficiency. Right. I actually, so. learned, I actually learned something this week. Um, I was talking to a colleague of mine. She said, did you know that the salt that's like in soup is not iodized? I'm like... I like I was today years old when I learned that. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, it's one of those things that you didn't really consider that. Um, right. 
Yeah. And of course, you know, iodine in our fruits and vegetables varies on the soil and mm-hmm. it's very difficult to tell. I have a lot of thyroid patients who believe that they should be taking iodine mm-hmm. and, and I have a hard time guiding them on that because I think yeah. that's, that's a, a tough one to tell them they need to take an iodine supplement. Right, because we um, used to rely on the table salt to right? do it for us right. and now table salt consumption is down. Right, sea salt and Himalayan is up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I find a lot of people are surprised by that when I say, um, well, actually, if you're doing table salt every once in a while, that's a good thing because it's fortified with iodine, which we really need. Right. Um, So what this was also saying is soy foods may affect the absorption of the synthetic thyroid hormone. Hmm. So this does not necessarily mean that patients with thyroid replacement need to avoid soy. Right. If their soy consumption is reasonably consistent... Okay. So if they're always drinking a glass of soy milk every morning, right. um, their medication dose can be calibrated to accommodate for their t- t- typical eating pattern. Okay. So I thought that was interesting too. So it doesn't necessarily need to be avoided with thyroid concerns or with thyroid medication. Okay. The one place I hear um, soy being maybe touted as the most beneficial, and I don't know if it was covered in this article, but mm-hmm. is heart health. Yes. Did she cover that? Yes. So she did did cover, um, do soy foods lower cholesterol or reduce the risk of coronary heart disease? Mm-hmm. There are two potential mechanisms by which so- soy foods might reduce cholesterol and thereby heart disease risk. Soy contains phytosterols and stanols. Mm-hmm. Those are the plant compounds that have been shown to lower our LDL cholesterol, which is our bad cholesterol. Right. And... Uh, it is in a dose-dependent manner, however. Interesting. These fat-soluble compounds are concentrated in soybean oil, uh, and then whole soybeans are also, they contain soluble fiber, and soluble fiber has also been shown to cause our, reduce our LDL, or bad cholesterol. There's two things that they're looking at with that. Um, earlier subjects studies did suggest that by replacing animal protein with soy protein foods did reduce total and L- our bad cholesterol levels. And so this is kind of interesting. It kind of went back and forth with the FDA. So in 1999, the FDA approved a claim saying soy protein included in a diet Low in saturated fat and cholesterol may reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, car, sorry, um, coronary heart disease by lowering blood cholesterol levels. However, in 2017, the FDA pr- proposed a new rule to revoke the claim, huh. citing numerous studies published since the claim have authori- was authorized in 1999 have presented inconsistent findings on the relationship between soy protein and heart disease. So we're, again, just not going, we're going back to, we're not sure if it was the fiber or if it was the soy protein. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of backed down a little bit right. on this statement. Um, but in 2017, the FDA also approved a qualified health claim that supportive but inconclusive scientific evidence suggests that eating about one and a half tablespoons of soybean oil per day may reduce the risk of coronary heart disease disease. 
So soy foods may play, her bottom line (laughs) is soy foods may play a role in heart healthy diet, especially to the extent that they replace foods that are higher in saturated fat. Gotcha. However, soy does not appear to be a silver bullet either against heart disease. Very interesting. And again, there may be other things at play, like the fiber. Mm -hmm. The fiber. That may be as beneficial mm -hmm. as anything. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. So... Again, I think it always comes back to isolating foods. You know, right. I mean, it's like there's isolating. probably some benefit, yeah, but, yeah. you know, in the amount of quantities that we eat, it probably doesn't have a big impact right. overall on our diet. Right. It's the overall quality of our diet, right. I think, that we need to be looking at more. And we'll talk about that with the food police here in a little bit. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so what did you have, Amy? So the study I had this week, and I think this may, be, may come as a surprise to no one, um, <laughs> is that fast food, um, this was published in the journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, that fast food menu items um, have gone up in calories, um, they've gone up in sodium, <laughs> um, and they've gone up in choices, which doesn't, some of the old, well, the more choices we have, the better. But I think a lot of studies show that the more choices you have, sometimes the worse decisions we make. We have lots and lots of choices. Are you saying some of those choices are, like, when they say more choices, what does that mean? Is it healthier choices? You know what I mean? Or is it just more (laughs) high-fat, high-calorie, high-sodium choices? Right. So what they did is they analyzed about 1,800 menu items from 10 fast food restaurants the restaurants analyzed were sort of the usual suspects of McDonald's and Burger King and, and those types of things. And what they found is that the portion sizes had gone up, which is super interesting to me in the context of sort of this mandatory menu labeling that uh-huh. we're now talking about. That portion sizes gone had gone up from between 1986 and 2016, mm-hmm. um, but also that sodium had gone up as well. And again, they don't sound like a lot, you know, in calories, the, you know, average calories had gone up, you know, 90 or something like that. Not yeah. a very significant amount, but it's interesting that with sort of the advent of we want healthier choices at fast food, it's really not what we're getting. Right. We're not having it our way, you know, <laughs> so like it's, not, it's, um, it's not really what we're getting out of this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something to think about is, you know, Fast food restaurants, I think, have had a look at some of healthier items. They're mentioned in, in an, uh, an article about this particular study. You know, Burger King had the healthy fries a few uh-huh. years ago, and they failed. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't sell. Yeah. Right. And um, the question is, when people go to fast food, what are they going there for? Are they going there to get a healthy meal? Or they're going there because it's quick, mm-hmm. that they like the regular fries the way they were, leave them alone? Right. Um, and I, I just think that's something to, to consider is that um, just like you talked about with soy, we talk about sort of isolating fast food into I ate a fast food meal and I feel guilty. Right. Well, how often are you doing that? Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. I always think it's the that old adage, the dose makes the poison. Uh-huh. You know? And I think that's something that you can think about with fast food is that how often are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think it's really interesting that with menu labeling, um, the researcher, the uh, the primary researcher on this particular study said that between 2008 and 2015 that there was a decrease of about nine calories <laughs> so again not nine something calories. that's super significant yeah um but i also think that she you know the, the primary researcher mentioned that people look at these fat these numbers on calories and also don't 
necessarily understand what they mean. You know, you and I do when we go right. through a drive through and we right. can see those calorie levels printed on the board. Although the one that can be confusing to me is when they combine them into a value meal. You know, you talk about yeah. having a drink or adding fries, and then you, you see that range with a sandwich only all right. the way up to, okay, now it's a 1,000 calories if you add in the drink and the fries. Right. right. Um, and that can be half of somebody's intake for an entire day. Right. Um, depending, and, and, you know, probably darn near half their sodium just for one particular fast food meal. So I think there's something to consider, too, about individual menu items versus what else you combine it with when you're going to fast food. But just like we've talked about, you know, how often are you doing it? Right. You know, um, and I think that's something to consider as well. If you're going frequently, it may be a chance to look and see what other choices that you can make. But if you're going, you know, once a month, I don't really right. get excited about that. because. Right. And I think the other trap that a lot of people fall into is they, they sort of think, well, fast casual is better. And there was a study a couple of years ago. I, can't, I think it might have been, again, in the journal, uh, the Academy of Di- Nutrition and Dietetics, about um, fast casual restaurants. So we're talking about like Chipotle mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually have higher calorie counts right. um, than oh, yeah. traditional fast food restaurants, but they get sort of this sort of healthism, health halo of mm-hmm. because they're fresh and organic right. and non-GMO. Well, mm-hmm. that, you know, non-GMO organic pork still has calories in it. Right. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it has exactly the same amount of calories as regular pork. Mm-hmm. Um, Right, so. where you could go to uh, Wendy's and a junior bacon cheeseburger is 350 calories. Right. You walk in and get one of those burritos or even a bowl. Um, the bowls are, everybody goes for those instead. They're, you know, seven, 800 calories right. at a minimum. Right. <laughs> Depending on how you like it. Right. So, so, yep, I think that's something to consider. Um, but, yeah, I think that the, the one thing to think about with fast food is, again, how often are you doing it? Right. Um, I don't, yeah. I, I'm, I, I get the idea that isn't it interesting that portion sizes have gotten larger, you know, mm-hmm. color me shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. that we kind of all knew that. But again, I don't know if there's necessarily a reason that say, well, I'm never going to fast food again, or I'm going to feel guilty about fast food meals that I eat. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's, it's a lot of it's how often am I going? Mm-hmm. If I'm going really frequently, then okay, it might be something to talk about. Okay, what choices Which can choices? I make? Correct. Um, and then also really maybe doing your research on just the whole picture. If you think about those calorie menu boards, all you're seeing is calories. You're not looking at sodium. Right. You're not looking at carbohydrates. The saturated um, fat. Right. Because there could be uh, other things. You're like, oh, look, that's lower in calories, but mm-hmm. didn't realize it was sky high in sodium. Mm-hmm. was researching for a patient uh, um, a, a, a few weeks ago with congestive heart failure, and you know that that requires a quite a low-sodium diet. Yes. And uh, coming up with ideas for how she could eat fast food. And, boy, some of the, the numbers from a calorie perspective weren't that offensive, but, boy, the sodium sure was. Right. And I'm like, ooh, you know, from a calorie perspective, okay, right. 500, but, and it's not yeah. that terribly exciting, but we're talking about 1,900 milligrams of sodium. It's her entire day. Right. In a sandwich. In a sandwich. Right. And there's sodium in everything we eat. So exactly. You're, yeah. Exactly. It adds up. Exactly. Well, let's Good. move a little bit on to that, that inner food critic. Yeah. So we talk about these things. And, yeah, we talk about that inner food critic, the food police. Right. You know, the problem is 
you know, when it comes to food, we find ourselves monitoring us and and comparing ourselves against unreasonable rules that perhaps dieting has created. Right. This whole thing that you've done all your life about dieting or things that you've heard that, oh, you shouldn't, we get shamed for going to fast food. Right. Um, and I have clients all the time telling me, I feel guilty. I mm-hmm. feel guilty because I've had a... I had a client considering fast food but didn't do it because they knew that it was not the healthiest choice. Right. But then not having something to eat at all ends up being worse for somebody who has diabetes or something like that. We need to figure out what to do. So I think we're kind of all very black and white about yeah. dieting. Have you seen that with your clients that it's sort of they can't do it all, they don't want to do it at all? Mm-hmm. It's a like think- good-bad dichotomy. Right. And I've been fighting this for since I graduated, you know, became a dietitian. Right. One of the things, just even then, it was always the first thing somebody would say is, "Oh, is this a good food? Is this a bad mm-hmm. food?" I saw <laughs> I saw a meme this week that just makes me smile. That you know, here are the list of bad foods. You know, things you're allergic to. That's a bad food. Yes. You know, things that are moldy. Probably bad probably food unless bad. it's cheese and it's meant to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, things that are spoiled or you know. That's a bad food, a bad but beyond food. that, right. food is food. Yeah, and, and I think well, at the end of the episode here, we're going to break down some of that self-talk yes. that we get around some of the things like sugar and fructose and white flour mm-hmm. and and those types of things. Yeah. But yeah, so but even non-dieters were finding feel guilty. They do their eating. So, you know, random sur- there was a random survey of non-dieters showing that 45% felt guilty after eating food. Isn't that interesting? And foods that they liked to eat. Right. They felt guilty about. Very so interesting. you like to eat, why do you feel guilty over it? Right. So. Well, there's so much... Um, media coverage of good and bad foods yes. um, from social media to television and mm-hmm. we are constantly bombarded with nutrition stories about you know right, similar to this fast food story this got mm-hmm. a lot of play in the media right um we're maybe a little in a much of a situation where a little too much information maybe is a bad thing mm-hmm. but we're sort I, of yeah. bombarded all of the time with this is what you can't eat this and it becomes mm-hmm. to the point where people sort of become diminishing returns they just say well to heck with it right i'm not gonna eat it i'll see whatever i want which is one way to handle it right but then there's another group of dieters that say oh, I feel bad about everything that I put in my mouth mm-hmm. or I'm not supposed to have this or, you know, I was so bad today. Right. I had, you know, right. a hot fudge Sunday. I was so bad. Right. You know. This is that food talk that um, one of my books that I'm reading right now, it's called Intuitive Eating, A Revolutionary Program That Works. It's by Evelyn Tiboli. 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 Yeah. And Elise Resch. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, they talk about food talk comes from a variety of places mm-hmm. these days. You know, books that you're reading, commercials, but yeah, even your social media feed, mm-hmm. everything. Um, there's this generalized, pervasive diet mentality mm-hmm. that's out there. And I mean, I was watching uh, Ellen, I love Ellen, mm-hmm. and she had Jennifer Lopez on the other day. and. Jennifer Lopez was describing how she was cutting out carbs for her and her husband right now and how it made her feel. Um, it's just, 
and she was encouraging people to try it. And that's just, you know, again, it's just celebrities have power. Mm-hmm. And when they suggest something, it may or may not work for everyone. Right. And they need to be care. People need to be careful with their power. And mm-hmm. whether you're a celebrity or not, you mm-hmm. really don't have the right, I think, to tell somebody right. what they can and can't eat. Right. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, I totally get that. I also think some of this, that inner critic comes from even, you know, back when you were a kid. Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, if your, you know, mom was critical of Mm -hmm. maybe how how she herself ate. Right. um, Sweets are bad for you. Right. Sweets are bad for you. Those types of things. It's something that you carry into later life. Yeah. And I think most people that I talk to who have are on diets have been on diets for a long time most people don't get to their 50s and say i'm going to go on a diet for the first time right no they've been dieting. all these things right they've been dieting since high school and so they've had all these different dieting rules like right. don't eat after six o'clock right um, what's the magic hour there at six o'clock i don't right, know, you know right right <laughs> um don't eat yeah don't eat after six o'clock don't don't eat carbs Eating breakfast. I've heard this too. A lot of my clients eating breakfast makes them hungry the rest of the day. Interesting. But the studies and the research and the evidence shows us that people who eat breakfast actually eat less calories mm-hmm. throughout the day. Yep. Um, and when I look at what they're eating for breakfast, it's usually because they're not eating balance to their their breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, having a little protein, carbs, and fat, so that they're satisfied for a long time instead of being eating something like a pastry or something that right. makes them hungry in an hour or right how about white foods how often do you hear that i don't eat yeah, anything I don't white. white foods no oh, flour sugar cauliflower right <laughs> <I know>. yikes <laughs> Oops. or yeah exactly you know potatoes are are bad and, right and sweet potatoes are good potatoes are regular right. potatoes are bad and oh, no but i've heard sweet potatoes are bad too right heard, you know um dairy products are bad right uh, and, and some of this also comes from um, not only from dieting rules, but even just the information that's out there on yes. hormones and organic and GMO and so much of this, particularly, sorry, I, I think that some of this is targeted at moms uh-huh. who want to be doing the best for their kids. And I right. certainly am a mom. I get that. You, know, you understand right. that. But yes. we scare ourselves out of eating things. Like bananas. That are perfectly How healthy. I've seen that come up. Right. <laughs> I heard bananas are making me fat, you know? Right. Or Five you, things you need to know about bananas. Exactly. You know, or, you know, I'm avoiding dairy products because of all the hormones and the antibiotics. Right. You know, um, so we're, we're sort of scaring ourselves, not only from a nutritional perspective, maybe, but from, a, you know, a food safety a food, perspective right. or food, kind of that sort of fear mongering mm-hmm. that has uh, been quite pervasive uh, mm-hmm. in society and, and, and continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, again, perpetuated on social media mm-hmm. and on the Internet, uh, which I think is people, the more you read I think the more you can scare yourself out of eating anything. Right. Well, and Panera Bread's new ad about clean eating. So clean eating. I have an issue with clean eating. <laughs> I'm yeah, so let's glad you talk I'm about so that. glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I think a lot of people know dieting is sort of a dirty word now and and um, dieting you, we I think most people know that people who go on diets are going to regain the weight. Mm-hmm. So we sort of repackaged this in like a prettier, yep. prettier wrapping paper. Yep. And we called it clean eating. Correct. Um, but if you think about it, and you think about the sort of the tenets of clean eating, 
it's very much a diet. It's very mm-hmm. much eat this, not this. Mm-hmm. And anytime you get into that, Good, you're, bad. It's, it's a diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but clean eating sounds a lot like real food and clean eating sounds right. a lot nicer than I'm on a diet. Right. Um, but it still builds in that automatic restriction and it still builds in that dichotomy of the black and white foods mm-hmm. and, you know, the good and the bad and, and causes people to feel a lot of guilt, guilt. when they eat things that mm-hmm. aren't clean. Yeah. And I think if I have one beef, I love Panera's food, but if right. I have one beef with Panera, it's that entire marketing campaign. Me too. I think was just not good. Yeah. Um, because again, it implied a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that even sort of these clean eating foods, they still have calories. Right. You know, I think there's an impression that if something you're eating clean, that somehow you're eating fewer calories. It's free. You can eat however right. much you want. Right. And that's mm-hmm. not just not the case at all. Um, I've actually been reading a little bit about healthism um, and, you know, that that sort of theory that, you know, your health is your responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're not a healthy person, it's a moral failing. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing to remember, and you and I both know this, it's more than just our nutrition choices and uh, our exercise habits that make us healthy people. Right. And um, just like the study about fast food showed that a lot of folks that are going to fast food are busy families, mm-hmm. um, busy moms who maybe mm-hmm. don't have time to get a healthy meal on table. Maybe you have parents who are working two or three jobs and just need to get something fed to their kids. Right. Um, that that all impacts health. And I think that healthism is one of those, those it gets kind of packaged in with that clean eating that, you know, not only do we have to be healthy, we have to look healthy and we have to be in control of our mm-hmm. entire, you know, bodies and, and those types of things. And, and, and nobody can really expect to do that. Right. We have to have like a, 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 a you know, have a, a kale smoothie in one hand and you have to right. be heading to spin class and the other, you know, right. on the other side. And again, that's an unrealistic view for most people. It's that um, perfectionism, I think part of that too you know we talk I think I've heard a lot about in the past it was like you are what you eat we've heard those types of things and as dietitians yes we want people to eat healthy and have Mm -hmm. but we also want that healthy relationship with food and I think that means to me Mm -hmm. that I eat healthy 80% of the time but 20% of the time I'm allowing myself to have things that appeal to me, whether right. they are high in sodium, fat, or whatever, if it sounds good to me, that's what I want to have. Right. And I don't have any guilt over eating that. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle. Right. If they can't do it all, they don't want to do it at all. Right. Um, um, it's 100%. And, right. And that's and not, that, that's not realistic. No. We all have lives, you right. know, right. Uh, that don't allow us to be perfect all of the time. And it's what do you do with that imperfection Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you able to get back on to your healthy habits or do you say, well, to heck with it, I've blown it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, a thing on online that I just love this, you know, if you flattened one of your tires on your car, you wouldn't right. go and slash the other three, right? <laughs> Correct. You would right. say, I'm going to get my tire fixed and I'm going to get back on the road, right? right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you spilled ketchup on your shirt, you wouldn't just dump the rest of the bottle on your shirt. Right. You know, or if you gave your dog a biscuit, you wouldn't give them the rest of the box of biscuits. All right. my dogs would be thrilled with right. that. Um, right. Again, how can we do that in other areas of our life? But when we get to our right. diet, we think, well, I've eaten this cookie or I had this fast food meal. Well, to heck with it. Right. 
it comes back to that social media presence too I think too where we see on Facebook everything perfect everything and mm-hmm. I love the people that are posting that it's not necessarily this is my life this is reality right instead of the perfect only pick posting perfect pictures and things like that and one thing yeah. I encourage my, my clients to do is if they haven't done it yet, it might be time for a clean out of your social media. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram to me seems like it might be the worst and I'm not picking on Instagram, but it seems to me and you know you talk about um, people posting their food, you know constant mm-hmm. pictures of meals and hash if you all have to do is, you know type in the hashtag clean eating right. and how many thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures do you have to look at mm-hmm. um, or if you're following people again who appear to be in that gym every single day, not right. missing a day, yeah. you know eating perfectly all the time, look at this wonderful you know smoothie bowl I had right, right. after my workout. Yeah. Again, that's I just not, don't think that's reality. No, and of course it's not because, <laughs> right. you know, they're trying to either sell you a product mm-hmm. or sell you on a plan that maybe, you know, that they're going to profit from. Right. Um, and I think that we, we kind of think that that's how everybody's living their lives, and it's yeah. just not the case at all. So I tell people if you can, you know, I'm not a big fan of the word detox, but yeah. social media is one of the ways I say you can do that. So, right. you know, follow memes about, you know, inspirational quotes or, you know, cats or whatever you're into, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, as opposed to always following food and body mm-hmm. and, and exercise things. Cause again, those can really, it can make you feel bad yeah. about if you're not, okay, I'm, I didn't get to the gym today, but look, this girl did. And right. I'm, now I feel bad that I didn't get to the gym. I didn't get the workout that she did. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel bad about myself. Right. Um, and that's, it's how you, it's how you handle that information for many people. It's self-defeating. Yes. And you've probably seen that. Right. So we need to start learning, listening to our inner voice and not let our inner voice be too hard on us. Right. Basically. Well, and I think reframing is important. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if we talk about sugar, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I saw something that said that the worst part about sugar is what diet culture has done to it. Mm -hmm. You know, sugar used to be a pleasurable thing. Now it's the thing we have to feel bad about. Right. So, you know, sugar, yes, you can say, oh, you know, it helps me to feel pleasure in eating, you know, in celebrations and cakes and cookies. And, um, you know, we all deserve to have sweet things mm-hmm. every once in a while, you know, or every day, you right. know, if we want to. Yeah. Um, within reason, of course. But I think that that's right. something that, you know, one of those things that say it maybe when we see people restricting sugar, that they end up craving it. Later More. on. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. then they get a ch- chance to overeat it, they do. Right. And then they feel guilty. And then they feel guilty again. That's it's that a cycle. Cycle. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How about fat? That's one I hear a lot about. I'm worried about the amount of fat that I'm eating. How right. can we reframe that maybe? Right. So fat, I always tell my clients, fat is actually going to make you feel full longer. It actually is important for our our bodies to have a certain amount of fat. And I hear that a lot. I shouldn't eat any fat. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, we need some fat in our diet. Mm -hmm. And so reframing it to say, no, fat is good for me. It's good for my, actually, it's one of the things that's helpful to our brain and central nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's required. So, and without fat, you can't absorb fat soluble vitamins that we have to have in our we have to consume right to get them into our bodies um how about white flour that's the one i hear a lot about oh i don't want any white flour i'm yeah you know i'm avoiding white bread and white pasta 
Yeah, so we do benefit from whole grains, mm -hmm. but it's not a poison to have white flour. It, right. it, it, there's nothing wrong with, I do a mix of whole wheat and white flour when I make pancakes or right. something like that. Right, and, and it's fortified. It, that's true. It you has know. vitamins and minerals added into it. I get the same thing with, if you think about white flour, and when I do the mixing of the white flour and the whole grain, I do the same thing with my rice for that same mm -hmm. reason. The the whole brown, the brown rice, if you look at the label, it's very high in fiber, but it doesn't have a lot of the vitamin A, the vitamin mm -hmm. C, and the iron. If you look at the white rice, it mm -hmm. does. So I mix it right. and serve it. Yep. And I don't feel guilty. Yes. And dairy <laughs> products, I hear a lot of guilt about dairy products or we should all be dairy free and, yeah. you know, um, or, you know, we shouldn't be drinking cow's milk. Um, I think that's interesting to show that the calcium from dairy products is much better absorbed than calcium from other sources. Mm -hmm. It's So, again, I don't think there's a reason to feel guilty about no. utilizing dairy products. No. You know, it's got protein, it's got calcium, it's got potassium, it's got, you know, iodine, which is good for mm -hmm. the thyroid. When Also, we talk about supporting bone health mm -hmm. um, when we talk about dairy products. Yeah. And really, there's nothing more effective than dairy products for bone health mm -hmm. um, because the other ones just are not quite as well absorbed. Right. I get concerned too because our kids are still growing and if you're fearful about dairy products, are you letting your kids, I mean, we know this is the best source of calcium and right. vitamin D in their diets. Right. Are we going to be seeing, you know, weaker bones in our kids uh -huh. um, as because people are afraid of dairy products? Mm -hmm. Calories are not evil. They're not evil monsters that, you know, sew your bit clothes a bit tighter every night. That's not really how it works. Right. Um, but we need them for energy. Same thing mm -hmm. with carbs. Yeah. We need them for energy. Right. And in our last episode, we talked about how carbs provide us energy. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a thing. It's <laughs> needed in your diet right. to have carbohydrates so you can have energy. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, term hangry is a thing, you know, yes. <laughs> when you run lo low on those carbohydrates. Um, so again, I think if you can reframe, carbs are not the evil thing. Sugar right. is not the evil thing. Reframe it a little bit yeah. to say, okay, there there's a lot that's healthy about these things or can be part of a healthy diet right. Um, right. when taken in moderation. Yeah. And I think really, again, because we become so hyper-focused on certain foods mm -hmm. as bad or mm -hmm. certain food groups as bad, yeah. that we lose, really do really lose sight of the big picture. And yeah. it goes conversely, too. Yeah. You know, superfoods. You know, yeah. um, right. You know, blueberries are, are great, but they're not going to cure what ails you. Right. They're part of a healthy, healthy diet, diet, and they should be part of a healthy diet, but mm -hmm. they're not going to fix, you know, problems by mm -hmm. just eating a serving of blueberries every day. It just doesn't right. really work that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah these superfoods, that's another thing that causes that food police to come out. Right. I should, be eating, should be eating I should be eating I should be eating avocados mm -hmm. even though I don't like them. Right. You know, or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Or right. kale. I should eat. Do I right. like kale? Right. Do, why do I, if I'm going to eat something I don't like because I should eat it. Right. You know? When that's just, there's so many other options out there right. to get the nutrients you need. You don't always have to get it from that one source. Right. Becoming hyper-focused on one group or one food, again, you lose sight of that, that yes. big picture. You absolutely do. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us yep. today. 
Thank you so much for joining us. And please subscribe to our podcast on all those platforms that you subscribe at. You can find us at the Secret Life of Dietitians.